Okay, good morning. Today's a big day for some of us here at Redeemer. Joey Payro's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Joey. Antonio Munoz, our Spanish pastor, it's his birthday today. All right. My wife, it's her birthday today. She turned 40. Uh, and this morning I was wondering, I said, you know, I'm already there. She just turned 40. Are we over the hill? And so I looked it up. Somebody said yes. In the Urban Dictionary, that's the first one that pops up on Google. 40 is over the hill. So here we are, babe. It's down here, downhill from here, you know. Who knows? But happy birthday to uh, all of them. And uh, I don't know if the Randolphs are here today, but I, one of our own, Zach Randolph, has had quite a week. Young man in our church who took just a, an act of, of kindness and respect to a police officer, and it got him into a bind. And yet, um, just as you know, God can take you from a, a, a bad spot and highly exalt you, he has been highly exalted all over social media and all over the news and even around the world for uh, a wonderful respect to a police officer. If you haven't seen that story, just Google Zach Randolph cookies, and it'll pop up, all right? And you can hear about one of our own and, and, and the great thing that he did this week. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11. This past week, I saw a brief video where Larry King was interviewing a fellow, and in the midst of the interview, the interviewee turned to Larry and asked him, do you want to live forever? If you could live forever, would you? And without hesitation, Larry King said, yes. This other interviewee had a different take on the matter, but I think Larry King voiced What's deep inside most, if not all, of human hearts, the desire to live forever, given that life is as it should be. I have had the thought, and I'm sure maybe you have as well, at some points in life you, you think about living forever and you go, boy, I, you know, I don't know, when do I get the rest, you know? There's a lot of anxiety related to life sometime and a lot of weight that all of us carry from one thing or another. And so the idea of carrying that weight and living under the curse forever, we go, you know, I, I'm not so sure. But the reality is when we think about life and maybe think about life in some of its goodness, whenever things are seemingly or at least approximating the way they should be, we think, I don't want this to end. I've shared this story before, but Macy, my 13-year-old, several years ago, she and I were up, I can still remember where we were, up at the top of our staircase, having a little conversation. We were having a great time. She was smiling, I was smiling, we were laughing together. And I said, you know, Macy, you and I had a conversation the other night as you were going to bed about the idea of living forever and how, boy, you know, sometimes we just think, am I ever going to get to just rest, you know, and but I said, you know what, honey? I said, right now, I don't want this to end. 
could go on like this forever. And yet, death is a problem. Death stands in the way, apparently, living forever. In Genesis chapter 1, God created all things, those six days of creation, and then he rested on the seventh day. And in chapter 2, we get a closer look as God created Adam from the dust of the earth. He shaped him. He formed that first human. And then it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and so he put Adam to sleep, and from him he took a rib, and from that rib he fashioned a woman, and he brought Eve to her, to him. And uh, he looked at her and said, wow, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. This is wonderful. And here was Adam and Eve, and they were placed in a beautiful garden, and they walked with God. They dwelt with God on the earth. And God said, from any tree of this garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Death will enter into the human experience. Of course, if you know the story, chapter 3, Adam and Eve turned away from God and his ways, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it broke their relationship with God, it broke their relationship with each other, it broke their relationship to the whole created world. And God said, from the dust you came and from the dust you shall return. And it wouldn't be an immediate death for Adam and Eve, but by the time you get to chapter 4, Cain has killed his brother Abel. In chapter 5, the key refrain over and over and over again is, and he died, 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 and he died. And ever since, it's been the story of human history. It's public enemy number one, death. The grim reaper comes for every single one of us. You can't bribe him. You can't fend him off. He bats 1,000. He gets us all. It's not the way it should be. From dust you came to dust you shall return. It apparently is the end. And it's rough. We get sick, we run down, we wear out, and we die. Natural disasters take out hundreds, sometimes thousands at a time. Many die at the hands of evil men. Others die at the hands of just tragic accidents. Death. It's rough. It's not pretty. It is as, as much as it is, has become normal to human experience and as much as we all expect it, unless the Lord returns, we all know we're going to die and those we love are going to die. So as, as normal as it has become and as expectant as it has become, it ain't right. It's been a terrible intrusion Upon human existence, it's been a terrible consequence of the fall of sin. Do we have any hope? 
And if so, what is it? And of course, I think most of us, all of us, know the answer. That of course we have hope. But what I want to do is I want to show it to you. Maybe you've never turned your attention to the pages of Scripture that give us such a sense of hope. One of the great passages related to this is John chapter 11. We're doing a series this summer through the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. If you're here with us new today, that's what we're doing. There's seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. This morning, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's watch it in chapter 11. It pertains to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He sets the stage in verses 1 through 16 by allowing Lazarus to die. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death. I think what he means by that in the context of the whole story is it won't be the final word. But for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, way back in chapter 2, when Jesus changed the water into wine, the first miracle that's recorded in this Gospel, John, who wrote it, said, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Not only are there seven I am statements throughout the Gospel of John, but there are also seven miracles. And John says that Jesus performed those miracles in order to manifest his glory, that his people might believe. And back here in chapter 11, verse 4, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. This is the seventh miracle that Jesus is going to perform. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, Jesus then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus heard that his friend, whom he loved, Lazarus, was sick. And instead of running to Bethany, Jesus stays two more days. And I think, along with others, that Jesus knew what he was going to do. And through what he was going to do, he was going to reveal something about his character and about his power and about his purposes that would be enshrined in the pages of Scripture now for over 2,000 years and would be enshrined on the hearts of his people. Jesus is going to let Lazarus die because he wants to reveal something about himself and about his power and about his purposes 
such that you and I and saints of the ages would have hope even in the face of this grim reality called death. Verse 7, Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? That's chapter 10. They wanted to put him to death. Jesus answered, and these are interesting words, and we're not going to spend any time on them. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This Jesus said, and after he said that to them, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Jesus refers to death here as a sleep. Paul will do the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is a clue. It is... It points to the reality that for those who are united to God through his son Jesus Christ, that death is just like a going asleep from which you will awake again. It's a temporary state. We'll get to that later. Verse 14, so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. The, the opposition was growing there in Jerusalem, in Judea, and, and Thomas just believes by going back, the end is near. So Jesus sets the stage by letting Lazarus die. Lazarus was sick, now he is dead. In verses 17 through 29, Jesus is going to affirm his identity, that he is the resurrection and the life. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That little phrase, rise again, we, we use that phrase all the time, do we not, when we talk about Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again. But here Jesus is talking about one of his who has died. And what Jesus said of him is, your brother will rise again. Earlier this week when I was just reading through this and meditating on it and beginning to think about this message, I thought about my daddy. My daddy died almost two and a half years ago, October of 2014. And I got to thinking about him, and um, 
my daddy and I were not super close, but there was something something special about my relationship to my daddy. And toward the end of life, it could, his life, it got a little bit rough at times. Um, we, we didn't communicate a lot and not necessarily real well, but my daddy had a smile that I can remember. And he had a laugh that I could remember. And my daddy loved me. And he loved my wife. And he loved the girls. And he... My daddy had a lot of pain that he had to deal with throughout his life, and that wasn't always so easy for him, and it would bleed over into his relationship with us, just like the rest of us. You know, we all got our stuff. And um, But I got to thinking about my daddy, and I was thinking about this. Your, because I believe my daddy was a Christian, your daddy will rise again. And it just hit me. And I, I knew it. Yeah, I could have told you, but it just hit me. I'm going to get to see my daddy smile again. And I'm going to get to hear his laugh again. And I'm going to get to talk to him again. It's an incredible thought. The idea that I spent all of those years with him and got to see him and, and, and talk to him. And I'm going to get to again. Your brother will rise again, Jesus says. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Most of the Jews had that expectation. Psalm 16, Daniel chapter 12, that there would be a great resurrection at the end of time. Jesus said to her, here it is, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think here's what he means. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I'm living. One of these days, I'm going to die. But I'm going to live again. And then he goes on, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So I'm living I'm going to die, but then I'm going to live again forevermore. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you're connected to me, this will be true of you. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews, so 17 to 30, as I've just divided the text, Jesus affirms. So he's let Lazarus die. He's now affirmed. He's the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And now Jesus is going to show his stuff. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in confirmation of his words. The Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, that's Mary, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. 
I never knew this until I studied it this week. That word troubled in the New American Standard, seemingly all of the commentators agree, it's a word of anger. One translated an outburst of anger, another angry in spirit, another outraged in spirit. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was angry. I think in context, he's angry at death. This vile thing that has come into the world as a result of sin, it's no good. We might call it normal. We might expect it to happen to us and our loved ones at some point. But it is not a good thing. It ain't the way it's supposed to be. Jesus was angry, outraged. And he said, where have you laid him? And he said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? I'm not going to spend any time on it, but you see it over and over again, don't you? Jesus' love for his own. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. He loved, wept. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that you may believe that they may believe that you sent me. Remember? Chapter 2, he did these signs that he might show his glory and that his disciples might believe. And Jesus said, so that you may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Jesus not only affirms that he is the resurrection and the life, but he confirms it by raising Lazarus from the dead. Christian, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And though you die, you will live again. And as a believer in him, you will then never die. When a Christian dies, I've said before, we wonder, I wonder, I'm not so sure there's even a loss of consciousness. When you and I die, your immaterial being Humans are, I believe, I'm a dichotomist, don't worry about that. We have a material being, our body, our 
bones and our flesh and our blood, and we have an Im immaterial a spirit, a soul. And those were created good. We were created good. And when we die, there is a separation of the material body and the immaterial soul. And I believe the Bible clearly teaches that soul of the Christian immediately goes into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, I'm hard pressed from both directions, having both the desire to, to stay, but also to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, Paul would say. And so at death, it, it's the separation of, of, of your soul from your body, and, and your soul goes to be immediately in the presence of God. And your body is left. And generally what we will do is we will have a funeral for you. First, we'll send your body to the morgue, and they'll do what they do. They'll make you look as good as they can make you look. And we'll put you in that coffin. And then we will gather, and we will cry, and we will tell stories, and we will remember. Then we will celebrate. Knowing that you, your spirit, is in the presence of the Lord now. But then we will take your body, and we will put it into the ground in hope. And I don't mean hope like I hope it rains tomorrow or I hope it doesn't. Biblical hope is assured expectation. This is why over the centuries Christians have generally buried bodies rather than cremated bodies. Cremation is not a sin. I'm not going to go there. But generally Christians throughout the ages have, have buried bodies in, in a cemetery a sleeping place because of the expectation that that body was created by God and that body is good and Jesus Christ has come to save the whole person and in due time that body is going to be raised from the dead believe it or not raised from the dead reunited with your soul to live forevermore with God in a new heavens and on a new earth where righteousness dwells forevermore. When you and I die, we do not become angels. We don't sprout wings in a halo. We don't play our harp on some cloud. We are humans. Created by God, body and soul. And Jesus Christ has come to save us, body and soul. One day, God is going to raise your body from the dead. When will this take place? It takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will come again and he will raise your body and mine from the dead to live forevermore. 
handful of places we could look. Let me just show you one of them. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So a few books to your right. John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This entire chapter is about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the implications that has for the resurrection of his people. We'll just pick it up in verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Just a little funny note. I saw one time a nursery had that placard up on the wall. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We might need one of those in our nursery. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So we, we won't all die. Some will be around at the coming of Christ. So we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. If you were to die today, your soul's going to go be with God. Your body's going to go into the grave, awaiting a day. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And the dead will be raised imperishable. Your dead body will be raised from the dead. What about those who, whose bodies were burned? What about those bodies who were drowned and decomposed? What about, what about, what about? If Genesis 1-1 is true, we got no worries. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that's true, then he can find the ashes of your body. He can put you back together again. The dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3 that he will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. Our resurrected bodies will be changed, imperishable, immortal. Our humble estate conformed to the image of his glory. Show you another. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, just to the right. One more book. First Corinthians, then Second Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, our body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, 
longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us to us the Spirit as a pledge. Again, right now we groan. This mortal will be swallowed up in life. There's more to look at, but we don't have time. Go back to John 11, where we were. Draw your attention to one little phrase, and then bring us to a close. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, here's, here's Martha, and her brother, whom she loved, is dead. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a good question for us. If you and I believe this, what it means is that physical death is not the final word for you and for me. And while we might not want to die, we need not fear it. One of my favorite songs, and we sing it here, in Christ alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he appears and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. May God help you and me because death and the prospect of death can bring a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. But may God help us to remember that our Savior is, is the resurrection and the life. And that by being united to him, death is not the final word for us. We will immediately go into his presence. Our body will go into the grave to be raised again. Imperishable, immortal, forever and forever. To live with God in the new heavens, on the new earth. If you've never read Revelation 21 and 22, or if it's been a long time, go read it again this afternoon. Secondly, for our loved ones who are in Jesus Christ, it is not the final word for them either. You will see them again. This is part of what Paul was addressing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Thessalonian believers 
had Christian friends and family who had already died or who had died in recent days. Paul said to them, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Paul says, as Christians, when our Christian family and friends die, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. For If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. His point is, we who live until the coming of Jesus, we're not in any better spot than they. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. If anybody has the advantage, it'll be them. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This truth, this theology, this doctrine is meant to have super practical comfort one another with these words. And then finally, I close with this. Do you believe this? If you and I did, maybe it would, maybe it should, maybe it can lead you and me into greater steadfastness, courage, and risk-taking for the cause of Christ in the world. That the prospects of death would not keep us from serving Christ whenever and wherever he calls us. Some of you know that we have a connection to Vanuatu. It's an it's a archipelago. It's, it's made up of 83 islands east of Australia, 500 miles east of Australia. One of those islands is the island of Tana. And we support Greg and Beth Ann Carlson, who are Wycliffe Bible translators. They were on Tana for over 20 years. They are now on the, in the main island of Vanuatu, and they oversee Bible translation all over those islands. One of the first missionaries who took the gospel to Vanuatu, it was called the New Hebrides Islands back in those days in the 1800s, was a guy named John Patton. Another, if not a couple of others, who had taken the gospel or sought to take the gospel to the New Hebrides Islands prior, and within days they were eaten by cannibals died a terrible death. Another missionary had gone and had seen some fruit, and he had been, this other John Inglis, had been calling on others to come to the New Hebrides, to Vanuatu, to bring the gospel, and no one was volunteering to go. And eventually God stirred John Patton's heart. He'd been studying for the ministry to leave England. 
take the gospel to these islands, to these people. And one of the old Christian men there in his home church, hometown, said to him, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And Patton's response to him is classic. Here's the way history records it. Mr. Dixon, that's who this man was, who said, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. That's a great answer, isn't it? But then it goes on. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And in the great day, that great day of the return of the Lord Jesus, my resurrection body, if I go and get eaten by cannibals, fine. My resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of of our risen Redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. Here you have shine, shone, shine the light upon a problem problem of death. And the light has shown that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is the resurrection and the life. That death is not the final word. That all who believe in him, all who are united to him, as he was raised, we too will rise to live forevermore with you, for you, and to your glory. May it give us courage now. May it give us steadfastness and hope today. Might it yield in our lives courage, risk-taking for the sake of Christ, knowing that whatever should happen, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. May we have that kind of attitude because of our great expectation and the great hope of the resurrection from the dead. Lord, if there's any here today who do not know the Savior, who do not have confidence, that should they die today, next week, next month, several years from now, that their spirit would immediately go into the presence of God, into the safety and the glory and the wonder of your presence. They're not sure of that. They have no expectation of being resurrected 
to live with you forever. God, might you right now help them to see that you are great and glorious, but that they have sinned against you and their sins have separated them from their God. Help them to realize they cannot do anything to fix that separation. But, oh God, would you open their heart right now to see that you have done it all in sending Jesus Christ into the world to live a life of righteousness they couldn't live and then to die upon a cross, not for what he had done, but for what they had done, to take the penalty for their sins. And you, satisfied with your son's work, you raised him from the dead. He's alive in heaven right now, extending his mercies and his forgiveness and his grace to any and to all who will turn to him, call out to him in prayer, saying, I need a savior. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Change me. Help me. Oh God, might they turn their hearts now in saving faith towards Jesus Christ. We'll pray this in his strong and wonderful name. Amen. All right. God bless you. It's been a wonderful day. Have a great week. If we can help you in any way, please do not hesitate to contact us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. You are dismissed.